This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Hey there, I'm enjoying a Labor Day long weekend. I hope you are as well. So we've dipped into the audio archives. This program is not live. Repeat, it is not live. This edition of The Conspiracy Show first aired November 24th, 2019. Enjoy. Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Anti-gravitics, zero-point energy, UFO propulsion systems for the full two hours. Victor Vigiani and physicist Dr. Paul LaViolette are standing by. In Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion, physicist Paul LaViolette reveals the secret history of anti-gravity experimentation from Nikola Tesla and T. Townsend Brown to the B-52 Advanced Technology Bomber. He discloses the existence of advanced gravity control technologies under secret military development for decades that could revolutionize air travel and energy production. Included among the secret projects, he reveals, is the research of Project Sky Vault to develop an aerospace propulsion system using intense beams of microwave energy similar to that used by the strange craft seen flying over Area 51. Using subquantum kinetics, the science behind anti-gravity technology, Dr. LaViolette uh, reviews numerous field propulsion devices and technologies that have thrust to power ratios thousands of times greater than that of a jet engine and whose effects are not explained by conventional physics and relativity theory. He then presents controversial evidence about the NASA cover-up in adopting these advanced technologies. He's also detailing ongoing Russian research to duplicate John Searle's self-propelled levitating disk and shows how the results of the Podkletnov gravity beam experiment could be harnessed to produce an interstellar spacecraft. Dr. Paul LeViolette is standing by on the phone, but first let me welcome my in-studio guest, 
Victor Vigiani is the executive director of Zealand Communications and the Zealand News Network. His research and analysis of anomalous aerial phenomena spans over three decades. His experience involves UFO sightings, report investigation, counseling work with individuals reporting anomalous experiences, presentations, and journalism in the field of ETI disclosure issues. Victor, welcome once again, my friend. How are you? I'm just fine. It's just great to be here with you and uh, to talk to Dr. Leviolette. Looking forward to it. Yes, for the full two hours. Much to discuss. Mm-hmm. All right, let's bring in the aforementioned. Dr. Laviolette has been president of the Starburst Foundation since 1984, where he's conducted interdisciplinary research in physics, astronomy, geology, climatology, prebiotic evolution, SETI, psychology, and anthropology. He received his B.A. in physics from Johns Hopkins, his M.B.A. from the University of Chicago, and his Ph.D. in system science from Portland State University. After conducting occupational safety research at Harvard University, he invented and patented an improved rebreather apparatus. He's conducted solar desalination research for the state of California, done solar energy consulting for the Greek government, hello, and also consulted Hughes Aircraft Corporation on ways to improve company innovation. In 1993, he reverse engineered the B-50, or the, sorry, the B-2 bombers classified propulsion technology and more recently has disclosed and explained the microwave beam technology used to propel vehicles developed in the super-secret Sky Vault project. He's the originator of the subquantum kinetics psych, uh, physics paradigm and also discoverer of the galactic superwave phenomenon, the notion that cosmic ray outbursts from the galactic core periodically trigger major shifts in the Earth's climate. In testing this theory, he became the first to discover high concentrations of cosmic dust and gold in Ice Age polar ice. More recently, he's shown evidence that about 50,000 years ago, Earth was showered by a major influx of tin-rich interstellar dust particles. He's also been shown evidence that an extreme solar event may have been the cause of the Pleistocene mass extinction. He's the author of six books, which include Secrets of Antigravity, Propulsion, Genesis of the Cosmos, sub- Subquantum Kinetics, and uh, we welcome Dr. Paul Leviolette. How are you, sir? Welcome aboard. Uh, glad to be here. <laughs> my, my question is, do you ever have time to get a haircut and mow your front lawn? My goodness. <laughs> You're a, a busy guy. <laughs> well, my wife helps out on mowing the lawn. Very good. Terrific. Very good. Please for that. And I don't have that much hair left, but I do get haircuts. <laughs> I, I can identify with that, yeah, for sure. Before you, we welcomed you uh, on board, Paul, Victor and I were discussing a little bit of zero point. Neither of us, you know, are certainly qualified to go too in-depth. But, Victor, you brought up an excellent topic, and that is that perhaps one of the reasons that it hasn't sort of penetrated into mass popular consciousness is it's so esoteric and there are so few people who can explain it kind of at a street level where we can all understand it and buy into it and say, yeah, let's get behind this thing. What do you think, Dr. Liviolette? Is that maybe one of the stumbling blocks here? It could be. I have my own theory or view of zero-point energy, which is different from what the physicists talk about. Well, do tell. It's more easy to understand, but I could start with relating what the physics of you is, if you want. Yes, please. Yeah. 
They see that space is like a vacuum, essentially, with uh, particles popping in and out of existence uh, everywhere. But they're in pairs, positive and negative particles. So a, be a pair of, like a positron, electron, for example, and then they disappear. And this all would happen so quickly in a blink of an eye that they could uh, essentially say it never happened or according to, that it wouldn't violate their conservation law. And uh, so they, with this idea, they, they say that uh, space is full of this, this energy, of these particles popping in and out of existence. Uh, now, I have a, a different view because I don't believe in space-time and a lot of things. Uh, the, the, the idea that, that this standard idea originated with Dirac. Yeah, okay, it's fine. It's an interesting idea, but I don't believe it corresponds to reality. Uh, my view is that there's an ether. You know, that space is not empty and it's not particles popping in and out of existence. It's uh, ether, which is a substance below the level of particles. Particles are made from the ether, just like uh, think of waves in the ocean. The ocean, the water would be like the ether, and the waves would be the particles. And in this case, let's say at times in places where there's no matter at all, where space is what physicists call vacuum or empty, the ether still would have waves. Uh, there would be little fluctuations. There would be most of them so small they wouldn't even stand up to the point of being called a particle. Um, so they're like field fluctuations, gravitational and electric, electrogravitic, so so to speak, fluctuations. Um, and uh, most of them are below the quantum level. But now and then you would have one very large that would be big enough to nucleate uh, the formation of a subatomic particle. And that would be a violation of energy conservation. And that's why physicists wouldn't like what I'm saying. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a violation because why? It seemingly comes from, some, from nowhere? From nowhere, so to speak. Uh, it comes into existence where there wasn't a particle before. Now you have a particle. Hmm. Where is it coming from? Another dimension? No, it's like from the ether. In this uh, physics, I, I deal with subquantum kinetics, which is uh, ether physics I've been developing for 40 years, which uh, has quite a following. I believe it's probably the major chat contestant to standard physics. Um, it has made 14 predictions that have been confirmed, uh, more than any other theory I know of. Uh, it uh, it's it's take on a life of its own now. It's not what I consider my theory. It's uh, a, a lot of people are, has a whole following. In fact, we have a working group uh, that gets together every Sunday to do modeling of the equations. The equation it'd be much simpler to understand than standard physics. Really, give us in a fact, sense of the potentiality. Uh, in my opinion, you you should throw out all of modern physics. I wish I could have said that in high school. I would have. <laughs> I, can, I can list uh, the things to throw out, but before, let me say that, uh, a quote 
from uh, William Tompkins. Are you familiar with him? Mm-hmm. He's written a book called uh, uh, Selected by Extraterrestrials. He, uh, we wouldn't have gotten to the moon if it wasn't for this guy. He was working at Douglas Aircraft in very highly classified um, positions. And he introduced the idea of the theater screen uh, idea where if you see NASA at their rocket launches, they have all these TV screens up in the wall. That was his idea. He was the first guy to suggest clean rooms for assembling rockets. They never would have gotten off the ground if it wasn't for this guy. And uh, he wrote a book that was published a few years ago about his experience, his life experience. And in one interview... Two years ago, he talks about something that Secretary of the Navy Admiral Forrestal was told, which was kept quiet all these years, and now he revealed it. Forrestal was told that every book in the libraries and the colleges and the universities, every book on this planet is misinformation. Hmm. All over this planet, books are not telling the truth, whether it's medical, solar system, astronomy, or science. Every person, every Ph.D. on the planet has been given misinformation. It's like Lloyd Pye's book, Everything You Know is Wrong. I wouldn't say everything. In the Mm. case of physics, uh, you can keep classical physics. In fact, you know, when I was studying physics, I found classical physics very easy to understand. But for the first two years, we'd study like Newton's laws and uh, things like this. And uh, what is force and so on, mass, energy, energy uh, conservation. Then we got to the third year, and they they threw modern physics at us, relativity, uh, wave particles, Copenhagen interpretation, all this kind of stuff. And I tell you, it throws you for a loop. Let me just go back to zero point, if I could, for a moment. I mean, I've heard some amazing analogies about the potential of zero point. If you could, well, give us your analogy. What is the potential if we could tap into this ether, zero-point energy? Well, I'd rather say you're tapping into the prime mover of the ether, because the ether is not something that's static. It's got, in subquantum kinetics, it's a flux. It's sort of like the uh, ancient qi idea of the ancient Chinese or the prana of the ancient Hindus. It's more like Alfred North Whitehead's view of physics, that what's called process philosophy, Henry Bergson, the idea that existence is based on process, not structure. Physics uh, views everything based on structure, like particles glued together. It's uh, below level, like quarks and gluons, holding them together to form particles, things like this. Subquantum kinetics arose out of more of a Heraclitian concept. You know, Heraclitus, uh, ancient Greek philosopher, right. was saying that in reality everything is like a river flowing, and we are in this river. So that's where your source, your main source to tap into. I gave a lecture at the uh, Breakthrough Energy Conference, Global Breakthrough Energy Conference. They had a session in uh, Amsterdam, near Amsterdam, uh, just about a little over a week ago. I, I don't know if you've heard of this conference. Yes, yes. It's every every mm-hmm. year they have it. You know, I was presenting um, some of these ideas there. And in my opinion, um, the um, 
standard zero-point energy concept is sort of overblown because, I mean, if you go to the standard view, uh, you do have, a, according to them, a lot of energy in every cubic centimeter of space. If you go to the subquantum kinetics view, you don't have really that much. You have to wait around maybe a million years for a particle to spontaneously create in the room, you know. So you're not going to get that much energy out of these little fluctuations. Uh, and, you know, there's people that are, are they have ideas to uh, tap this with special capacitors, with Casimir uh, effect and so on. So I think what they're really tapping is more waves existing bouncing around so this are, this idea than... that this idea that we could um, we could harness we could power the planet with the strength of multiple suns we could we could solve the earth's energy problems forever travel the solar system beyond the solar system uh, take our place among the stars that's not feasible you're saying it sounds it like yeah it is but not the way they're thinking they they don't Without first acknowledging the existence of the ether, they're going to be way back in the 20th, 20th century. You know, if you wonder, uh, technology hasn't really changed that much in our lifetime, and neither has physics, for that matter. I mean, we still have the Big Bang Theory, and yet it was disproved a long time ago. Uh, it's sort of like everything is ossified, just like in the Matrix. Right. I mean, we're still, we're still transmitting electricity the same way we did 100 years ago. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, I, it, there is an inertia to everything. I mean, there's greed and uh, the interest of the companies to not tool up with new ideas. You know, I tried, I had, you mentioned I had a patent. I tried to uh, uh, sell some rebreather companies. So the idea of my more, it was a better way of doing things. And, Basically, the problem was they didn't want to spend the money to change what they were doing if they didn't have to, even though people were actually losing their lives using using what they had. Um, so the same, you know, uh, the system set up in a certain way, and there's this inertia. And then there's uh, people believe there's people behind the scenes pulling strings to make sure that nothing changes, and that they've got their hand in the till. Victor, I want to I want to send it over to you as we uh, kind of recover from a, a kind of a lunch bag letdown on zero point energy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I, I guess that's one way to describe it. And you know, it, in any of the dialogue or, or discourse that I've heard about uh, zero point energy and and inchoate matter and and how you draw that energy from the quantum vacuum. Um, and I know Hal Putoff has some very specific ideas about it, and I've, I've listened to some of his commentary, and the one piece of commentary that he does um, uh, frequently put forward um, is this whole idea that if we can draw whatever energy is out there, and uh, I stand to be corrected, I'm just repeating with the message that, uh, that uh, Dr. Putoff uh, has told us, that in one cup of this stuff, if, if you can quantify it and put it in a... Whatever it could, it could boil uh, all the water uh, on the in the on the oceans on the planet, and now what, is he is he you know is that is that a, another lunch bag letdown? I'm not quite sure, but if if that's if that's the matter, if that's the case, if someone like and Dr. Putoff uh, is espousing this type of uh, 
uh, I, I guess, theory or the, the possibility of this, um, where does that leave zero-point energy in the context of what uh, Dr. Laviolette just said? And then I guess I, I'd like to transition into the idea of anti-gravitics and does it have any kind of relationship to what we're talking about? And once again, that's coming from a former school principal who, <laughs> what I know about physics, you could fit in a flea's navel and still have room for three caraway seeds. <laughs> okay? So, I mean, we're talking about someone who's at, at ground zero here with, with that. I'd like to know what the relationship is between um, with this whole idea of the quantum vacuum and, and this, the anti-gravitic technologies that we know that we know is being experimented. Okay, but let, yeah. let me uh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, your please. Anxiety. <laughs> if you take Putoff's idea and the standard physics view of zero-point energy, right. and you bring that energy, really that's misplaced. They, the energy source is not at the quantum level; it's at the subquantum. Because uh, zero-point energy is a quantum phenomenon. It's particles coming in and out of existence, right. quantum particles. But uh, you, what you have to do is go down to the sub-quantum, the etheric level. And if you realize the, the ether is driven by a flux, it's a transmuting ether. Uh, and in, at the lecture I gave a few weeks ago, I, I showed that, for example, magnetic field. There's a lot of free energy machines that are magnetic motors, they're self-propelled. Mm -hmm. And the question is, where does the magnetic field come from? Uh, what is powering or uh, energizing the magnetic field of a magnet? And it, and it comes down to electron spin. And what is electron spin? Physics never tells you. So you, you're up at a, against a wall there. Uh, but in subquantum kinetics, it explains what it is. It's basically, and there are other ether theories too that talk about it, that it's an ether vortex. Spin and magnetic field is a vortex in the ether. And in subquantum kinetics, it explains how this vortex is generated and why. And it's generated inside the subatomic particle because there's fluxes going in and out from the center of the particle. Uh, it's sort of like uh, Reich's idea, to give you some analogy, you know, Wilhelm Reich, he was talking about etheric fluxes going into the earth, for example, and coming out. Um, and uh, these, the, these fluxes, the reason that they're occurring is because there's this subquantum flux driving these reactions. It's sort of difficult without showing you pictures okay, but of what's if, going on. So if we park zero-point energy and we talk about subquantum kinetics, then the subquantum, mm -hmm. the etheric field, is that where the potential is? That's to... where the source of energy is, and that's what Tesla was talking about when he was saying about connecting to the wheelwork of nature. Mm. Tesla's wheelwork, I believe he realized, he spoke about the ether, and he realized it was uh, a uh, an active ether. Um, he, he was into into the um, the views of uh, the Theosophist Society uh, at that time. Also, Mendeleev, the originator of the uh, periodic table, chemist. Um, he had his own ether theory, which involved chemical-like transmutations, but going on at the etheric level. And that's essentially what subquantum kinetics is. 
imagine chemical reactions going on, but they're not at the chemical level, at the etheric level. All right, listen, we're going to take a time out here, uh, Dr. LaViolette. We'll come back, Victor Vigiani in studio from Zealand News Network, and we'll uh, continue to tap into zero-point energy, anti-gravitics, uh, UFO propulsion systems, and much more, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Listening to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back, Victor Vigiani in studio from Zealand News Network, and on the line is Dr. Paul LaViolette, the author of, among others, Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion. Forget zero-point energy. Move over zero-point energy. Let's talk about subquantum kinetics. What is the potential there then? Yeah. Well, this is just one example of a type of free energy. Now, uh, you could explain, for example, anti-gravity, like electrogravitics. Electrogravitics comes out of subquantum kinetics as a prediction. It just falls right out. Because in standard physics, it teaches Einstein's theory that all matter is positive mass, or in other words, gravity wells that would attract each other. In subquantum kinetics, it predicts that only positively charged particles, like protons, are producing gravity wells. Negative particles like electrons, negative charge, are producing gravity hills. They're anti-gravitic. And the only way you can see that, because you can't see it with particle experiments, because the gravity field is so weak compared to the electric field. So what you have to do is put huge numbers of particles on a capacitor, like charge up a capacitor to to, hundreds of thousands of volts like Townsend Brown did, and he had the positive charge on one side of the capacitor and negative charge on the other, and he found that the the capacitor itself, if he suspended it like a pendulum, would swing towards the positive pole as if there was a gravitational force created between its plates pulling it. And this is just what uh, subquantum kinetics predicts. So subquantum physics predicts anti-gravitics. In fact, uh, this is how I got into the field of anti-gravitics. I was working on subquantum kinetics, and I was worried about this fact that it was predicting that charge and gravity are correlated. And I thought, well, maybe my theory is wrong. And that's when I discovered Townsend Brown's work, which validated it. And I started getting into his work, and that's what got me into uh, anti-gravity and all the esoteric stuff. Back in the 50s, I think it was Boeing, they were talking about we're on, we're on the cusp, we're on the cusp with anti-gravitics. And then mm. there was a certain, it was like an iron curtain came down and you didn't hear anything more from Boeing about anti-gravitics, so, which leads to right. two possible conclusions. One, they ran into a dead end, they were embarrassed, they just didn't want to talk about it anymore. Or they had a breakthrough and they didn't want to talk about it anymore. Which do you think is correct? Well, actually, it wasn't just Boeing. It was all the major aerospace companies. So you could list maybe 20 aerospace companies that were studying electrogravitics in the 50s. And then the whole subject went dark around between 57 and 59. And you didn't see any more articles reporting on it. You know, you'd see articles in the Herald Tribune or a product engineering magazine. People in these aerospace companies would be talking about what they were doing. And then after that date, 
uh, nobody said anything, and no, uh, there was nothing published. And eventually, everyone forgot about it. And it, it was due to a secrecy order. It was a clampdown. My eyes were opened when I uh, came across, well, there was a, uh, I went to Library of Congress in, uh, when was it, 1985, to look up the topic of electrogravitics. I figured that's the biggest library in the U.S., and they should have something on this subject. And there was just one document in the whole library, <laughs> and it was called Electrogravitic Systems by, a, it was a study think tank study put out by aviation studies they're sort of uh, catered to the military industry and i requested it and it came back that it was missing from the stacks and so i said okay can we do a a search uh, like interlibrary search and the guy said this is strange i said what Says well, there's only one copy in the whole interlibrary loan uh, system uh, the right. search, and uh, and it, uh, it ended up being Wright Patterson Air Force Base. <laughs> well, big surprise there. So I uh, put in a request, uh, crossed my fingers, and they actually sent it. And I uh, made many copies of it. I was sharing it with friends for many for several years, and then uh, Tom Valone says, "Well, we should get this out." And so I worked with Tom. We, he published it in his book, Electrogravitic Systems, along with my paper, uh, Reverse Engineering the B-2 Bomber, which uses Townsend Brown's technology, in my opinion. That, that originated as a paper I presented at a conference. And uh, that was uh, the beginning of my uh, uh, research in anti-gravity, and it eventually developed into my book, Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion. And I, added a lot of other technologies and all of these uh, technologies can be understood in the framework of the ether concept particularly subquantum kinetics in, in, in your estimation um, uh, how many other physicists of, of your stature uh, this is a two-part question uh, are, are sort of in line with you in terms of this uh, sub-quantum level of, of, of energy um, as opposed to what the zero-point vacuum describes. That's the first part. How many people are really kind of in line with that? And then, well, if Tesla was here, he would agree with me. Uh, oh, there you, well, that's um, good to Related to that, and if you have that constituency of, of uh, physicists that are sort of uh, advocating the, the theory that you're talking about, and, and then I guess the second part of my question is... Are you aware of any practical, um, the existence of any practical applications of anti-gravitic technology that are in existence right now, either military or, or otherwise? Yeah, well, uh, as far as physicists, uh, I would say maybe uh, I, I haven't, it's difficult to say because maybe thousands. Uh, my books are fairly well read. It's gone through four editions. After all, the theory's been around for 40 years. Um, Space Command has taken an interest in it, uh, a way of, you know, uh, building uh, anti-gravitic uh, craft. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> it's cited in, uh, it's been cited in many journals. Uh, the, the theory was first published not in a physics journal, but in a systems journal. Because basically, in a, you know, general system theory, you're familiar with that? Not really. 
<clears throat> above my pay grade, I'm afraid. It's um, viewing uh, nature in terms of systems, like your body is a system. Right, okay. Uh, it's made of cells, and cells are also a system. And uh, one common denominator that you're taught in this field is that things are in life, living systems are like open systems, and they're based on flux of their components. And uh, this has been applied, this model has been applied in the field of education, business administration. That fact, that's where I first learned about it was in uh, business school. Uh, and I had been developing my own system theory on my own when I discovered it. And I was quite relieved to see that other people had follow, followed the same path. I don't know if you're familiar with Irvin Laszlo. You heard of him, philosopher. Uh, he's uh, published a lot on system theory. Right. right. And, uh, in fact, he's a supporter of subquantum kinetics. Uh, lectured at his uh, symposia. And uh, uh, so basically, subquantum kinetics is an application of systems principles to physics, to microphysics. Nobody had done that before. You know, systems theory had been applied to all these other fields, so. My inspiration was, hey, you know, uh, some of these new things coming out, like chemical waves that were, were being discovered in the 70s, early 70s. Um, the Brusselator, Ilya Prigogine, was doing research with the Brussels School on the Brusselator, developed by a fellow named Lefebvre. Um, these were all, like, the these were... Re chemical reaction systems, they were open systems uh, that would produce patterns. And I thought, well, these patterns look like they, if I tweak them a little bit, if I tweak the equations, like the Brusselator reaction equations, which is a set of four equations, kinetic equations, uh, I could produce uh, what Einstein referred to as bunched fields, like uh, that particles are essentially bunched fields. They're, they're not solid in any way. They're, they're field concentrations. And in this case, it's fields, what are fields in this physics? They're etheron concentrations. Hold tight, sit tight, and uh, we will come back with Dr. Paul LaViolette and Victor Vigiani as we continue to discuss a free energy anti-gravitics UFO propulsion right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740. Or toll free, 1-866-740-4740. In 1993, you reversed engineered the, B the B-2 bomber uh, right. classified propulsion technology. Were, were there aspects of anti-gravitics utilized on that B B-2 bomber? Now, that's more uh, what's called field propulsion. Um, <clears throat> what Townsend Brown referred to as electrokinetics as opposed to electrogravitics. And it, it, it's a case where if you have a capacitor 
where it's uh, asymmetrical, asymmetrical, meaning that one plate is larger than the other, you're going to get unbalanced forces on it, and that's going to move it. And Brown did experiments with these, and he showed he could lift a asymmetrical saucer off his workbench w- along with 10% weight in addition by putting 150,000 volts on it. So it's not technically anti-gravitic, but it has, what, the same effect? Right, and I, I'm not saying the B-2 bomber doesn't also have anti-gravitic thrusters. It could have in its wing, but the propulsion system where it was disclosed by some through leaks of some engineers who were black ops engineers uh, were saying that it charges the leading edge of its wing and it discharges the opposite ions in its exhaust and it ends up creating this, this multi-million dollar uh, excuse me multi-million volt field across its wing in fact uh, the, the wing itself becomes very negatively charged compared to the exhaust what is, what is the net effect of that? I'm, I'm guessing, what, huge fuel savings? Yeah, we see it creates a huge force moving the craft forward, this unbalanced force. And as a result, you could actually at one point shut off your jet engines, which are really their ion generators. Ah, so, now we're getting somewhere. I, I believe it's in a book by James McDonald, uh, Dr. Dr. Levy, mm-hmm. uh, regarding this whole idea of... Um, the, the 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 wing edges of the B two bomber, and that hmm. they are be, that they become uh, electrified somehow or charged somehow with it with the, the wing the forward wing edges, and hmm. uh, as this charge uh, is is e- emitted, it's emitted forward to tell the mass of of air in front of it to get out of the way. Right. So that do that. Right. Yeah. So that the, this the craft can move forward more quickly and not rely on, uh, I guess, the engines itself. So as a result of that, it it, it in fact does move more quickly. There's no it, resistance, it's, or it's lessened, or is it right. very little resistance? Right. Yeah. Is that kind of what we're talking about here? Well, well, that's uh, involved, but it's not the main force pushing it forward. Right, that's exactly. just reducing air friction. That's right. It's, and okay. you could use that on airplanes, too, right. and they don't do it. They exactly. Don't. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but it's it's what I was saying. There's this huge uh, force. It's an unbalanced force that pushes the craft forward because you've got negative ions mm-hmm. in back that are putting a huge force on the tailpipe of the B-2. Uh, repulsive force because the tailpipe is negative, the, mm-hmm. the exhaust. Uh, whereas the ions in back are also negative, and so you have this huge force pushing on it. On the other hand, the uh, positive ions coming out the front <coughs> off the wing, because the B2 is going forward, they angle back in the bow shock, so they also put a repulsive force on the front leading edge, which pushes in a forward direction. Uh, if you can picture that, you have to mm-hmm. see a diagram of this mm-hmm. whole thing. And so the net result is you get this forward propulsion. And, uh, and like I was saying, at one point you can actually uh, cut off the fuel supply. And B2 has got air scoops on its engines. And it, basically you're scooping in air, electrifying it, and that electrified exhaust goes out the back, and it acts like a Van de Graaff generator, because uh, they, even though they electrify it with only fifty thousand volts, let's say, like your your room air ionizer, a little more than that. Um, <clears throat> by the time it gets out the exhaust, it travels down the length of the turbine. 
uh, it's gone up to millions of volts, and they pick up some of that with a plate, and they recycle it back. So um, they power the plane, actually, with the, this energy they're picking up from the forward motion of the plane. And, and what kind of speed are we, airspeed are we talking about? What's the potential there? Uh, well, uh, my, I, I don't, what's, uh, you know, it's classified, and I, I don't know, I haven't heard, you know, but... Uh, Could you speculate? Yeah, speculate. Uh, Mach 10. Mach 10. My goodness. All right, we're going to take a yet another time out. We will come back and pick up on that point precisely. Uh, Dr. Paul LaViolette stays with us. Likewise, Victor Vigiani, back with more. This is starting to heat up, folks. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Victor Vigiani in studio from Zealand News Network. And on the line is Dr. Paul LaViolette, the author of, among others, Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion. Before we get back to my conversation with Dr. Paul LaViolette and Victor Vigiani, just a reminder that I'm enjoying a Labor Day long weekend, and I hope you are as well. So we've dipped into the audio archives. This program is not live. Repeat, this program is not live. It uh, first aired back in November of 2019. Next week, the program, next week, will be the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attack. And I'm putting together a 9-11 special. Again, it'll not be a live program. It'll include a conversation with Graham McQueen. He's a retired professor of religious studies and founder of the Center for Peace Studies at McMaster and co-editor of the Journal of 9-11 Studies. And uh, also on the show will be my conversation with the late Jim Mars and the late airline captain Phil the author of The Big Bamboozle, 9-11 and the War on Terror, plus Dr. Judy Wood, the author of Where Did the Towers Go? Again, that's next week on The Conspiracy Show, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And then thereafter, we'll go back to regular live programming. Now, Let's get back to my conversation with physicist Dr. Paul LaViolette and Victor Vigiani, executive director of Zeland Communications. And we were discussing anti-gravitic or electric kinetics technology that Dr. LaViolette discovered after he reversed engineered the B-2 bomber back in the 90s. And he discovered the bomber's engines were scooping in air, electrifying it. And the electrified exhaust going out in the back acts like a Van de Graaff generator. It travels down the length of the turbine, by which point it's gone up to millions of volts. The plane then picks up some of that with a plate and recycles it back. So now they're powering the bomber with the forward motion of the plane. And the potential airspeed, and Dr. LaViolette is speculating, could be Mach 10. Mach 10. And as Victor points out, no sonic boom. Well, that's the whole problem. Now we're getting into the whole idea of the UFO issue, okay, the or UAP, whatever you want to call them, that in my 
40 years of interaction with this, with this whole question is that we have these craft of unknown origin coming into our own airspace, our dense airspace, and they're moving at 10, 15, 20,000 miles an hour. And, uh, this is what we're told and they don't create a sonic boom. And, which is totally antithetical towards any kind of, you know, aerodynamics and flight dynamics that we're, that we're accustomed to. So the question is, uh, if these B-2 machines that you're, that you're describing can utilize this kind of input of energy to, uh, electrify their wing edges, uh, I guess the bottom line question in my mind is, do these so-called craft of unknown origin or UFOs use a similar kind of propulsion system to move not only within our own airspace, but in the quantum vacuum of, you know, in the vacuum no, of space. No, use more sophisticated stuff. This yeah. is uh, relatively primitive. <laughs> exactly, yeah. There's yeah. many ways to skin the cat. Yeah. Uh, and they, they've skinned the cat pretty well, from what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you could, uh, for example, charge uh, a saucer to very negative potential. And uh, like I said, subquantum kinetics, you're creating an anti-gravitic field by doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the higher you go in negative potential, the more the lighter basically it would get. The craft would get, yeah. So in in essence, the uh, I guess the, the bottom line question in my mind right now, and on a practical and, and I guess political level, is does the fossil fuel industry have anything to fear from this kind of uh, new technology or or the the design of the theory that you're talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, we're down the need for fuel. I mean, the B-2 doesn't have to be fueled. They can go as long as they want, scooping air and uh, recycling the energy to keep going. Uh, so that's a real advantage, not having to fuel the B-2. They could make that available to the commercial airline industry. Right, and, and... I, I've argued for that. Uh, I, uh, I, I've tried to... Uh, to, to make those statements publicly, and uh, <clears throat> every, everything is sort of locked in place, of course, is this classification. Uh, <clears throat> so the government hasn't been willing to release yet the technology to industry. You the, know. Does the government have that uh, ability to decide to release or not Look, to release? Look, all the major aerospace companies that uh, make planes, at least like Boeing, you know, they're doing secret projects, too. They know all about this. And uh, they tried to declassify one aspect of uh, technology they had. It may have been field propulsion, I forget. <clears throat> and they were told no. Now, all this might change because they say we're going through a pro- process of disclosure now. <clears throat> so these years, uh, just these few years, we're in a different era building the space force and supposedly make people more aware of what's going on in space, the secret space program. They're trying to find a way to inform people what we're doing out there. Probably they're running out of ways to capture money, you know, like siphon it off of Las Vegas probably isn't not working as well as it used to. <laughs> but they have probably set up an economy out there. It's been this has been stated, you know, the idea of the off planet breakaway uh, civilization. civilization. Yeah. yeah. I mean they can be fact mining asteroids and whatever, you know, all sorts of raw materials out there easily accessible. Iron, uh tritium 
from the moon, uh, gold, uh, platinum, you name it. You know. Meanwhile, we're still using you know solid rocket fuel and jeopardizing the lives of astronauts when it's all totally unnecessary, right? Now, I think the thing that is really going to make the move into the free energy is going to break everything open is uh, running cars on water. You've heard of this, right? Oh, yes. Hydrogen, yeah. And uh, uh, Ken, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Anyway, uh, one inventor recently, he's got a company uh, uh, who's uh, made a major breakthrough, and he can run a car on uh, 99.9% water and 0.1% gas. He needs the gas to get it started, basically. And he uh, he extracts the water right out of the atmosphere with a condenser, so he doesn't even have to fill up. You know. And he's planning a uh, a coast to coast caravan with uh, vans, and it'll be he'll be accompanied by a whole bunch of other vans for security purposes. Uh, to show everyone that this is possible to open people's eyes, you know, get news coverage and, uh, um, and there's, uh, various technologies for tapping, uh, energy of water. Also, Randall Mills has a technology where he claims to get a megawatt of power out of a little thing called a sun cell. You've heard of Randall Mills' uh, yes. device? Yes, I have, yes, yep. And, uh, <clears throat> now that's not understandable in current, uh, physics. Uh, Mills has a three volume book he put out, reordering, reorganizing quantum theory. I've got to jump in it. here because we're going to take another, uh, time out, top of the hour, and then, uh, we'll carry through for the next hour with Dr. Paul LaViolette and, uh, Victor Gianni, and, uh, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, the water fuel cell. People might remember Stan Myers. Uh, Some say he died under very mysterious circumstances for uh, trying to break through with his technology. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show right after this. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods, and maybe you're off the grid. Hyatt, I'll be tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Those streaming us live on zoomerradio.ca and on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Those of you in the YouTube live chat room, those who catch us later at a more reasonable hour on the podcast, however and wherever you're listening, I bid you all the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Uh, A programming note, next week, Thomas Horn will be here for the full two hours to discuss the Wormwood Prophecy. Uh, Dr. Paul LaViolette and Victor Vigiani stay with us as we uh, head on into Hour 2 and we continue to discuss uh, subatomic uh, physics 
and anti-gravitics and UFO, UFO propulsion uh, devices. Um, we were talking about, or you mentioned the water engine, and I mentioned Stanley Myers, and mm. uh, supposedly, you know, had this dune buggy, I think, that he was going to drive across America, and I guess he, had, like, he was a, doing it, actually. Right, the right. And then uh, there was a, even a, there was a play about this by, by David Mamet. Uh, mm. uh, he made a play called The Water Engine, and, and, mm. uh, Myers supposedly was, uh, had this meeting with some, some big mm. oil suits, mm. and they offered him untold, um, fortunes to basically buy the technologies, presumably so they could put it on a shelf. Right. And, uh, then shortly after this meeting, according to the legend, um, he died, possibly poisoned, but, um, mm. Anyway, you, so this idea of the water engine has come up again, hmm. uh, you're saying, and, um, you know, why do we expect a different outcome this time around? Yeah, by the way, his name's Walt Jenkins that okay. developed this newer version. It's a special spark plug along with a way of processing the water before you inject it into the carburetor. And, um, he uh, he's aware of what happened to Myers, and uh, this is why he's organizing. Well, we're in a different age. We now have the internet. He plans to have it broadcast uh, live uh, on the internet. Um, have a whole caravan of people traveling with him. Uh, he will need to really get out of the trailer. You have all his food supply and everything in there, so. I, I think uh, he, he will succeed. Right. You would need an and, awfully big spark in order to basically, because what you're doing is you're ripping the, you have to rip the hydrogen uh, atoms off of the, away from the, the, the oxygen, right, to, and ignite the mm, hydrogen. Mm. Well, there's a way of doing it with very low input of energy. These are, these are things that he's discovered and others have discovered, and it produces what's called water gas, which is really not, is not a good theory to explain it. It's uh, hydrogen and oxygen uh, together, uh, and it's in an energized state. And, and then all it takes is a spark to detonate it, and you get uh, you get energy out of it. And the whole process is very over unity, as it turns out. Right. And uh, this bothers a lot of people. They say, well, where's the energy coming from? Well, the thing is that it's because they're living in standard physics. You know, standard physics is designed as a closed system. Right. It's viewing the universe as a box, and the universe doesn't work as a closed system. It's an open system. And I explained this. Energy flux is going through maintaining your body this very moment, the table in front of you. If this flux were to stop for one moment, you, everything in the universe would... Uh, would disappear. Uh, it would uh, turn into a vacuum state. You know what's keeping every particle of matter in existence is this flux, and we don't have to worry because this flux is eternal. It's going on. It's the gift of God, basically. Uh, it's uh, energizing everything. It's the wheel work of nature that Tesla was talking about. Right. So let's let's bring it back to UFOs, if we could. Hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm guessing they're not. I can talk about other technologies besides uh, the B2 bomber. Like there's a Nasikas thruster, which is a magnetic uh, drive device. Uh, have you heard of this? No, no. Do tell. <clears throat> uh, Nasikas, a Greek physicist. I met him at a 
uh, conference in the island of uh, Kos in Greece, and uh, he was talking about his experiments with the superconducting uh, nozzle, and uh, put puts a permanent magnet in his throat, and he gets a little thrust. It's not much, but uh, I agreed to help him out to develop this. We did tests. It was witnessed by a Nobel laureate who agreed. He agreed that he that we were getting thrust. <clears throat> Uh, we showed it to Athens University physicists who looked at it from all angles, and they were very impressed. They didn't want to acknowledge openly the physics community what they saw. <laughs> right, right. Uh, we have interest from several uh, businessmen, aerospace uh, uh, interests, uh, to use it for propelling satellites uh, interplanetary because it, it, what what really opened our eyes when I did the calculations on this thing uh, how much thrust you get for the weight of the device and how much thrust you get for the energy well there's no energy basically but the thrust to weight ratio uh, you compare it to the next best alternative which is ion propulsion and it's like I don't know few orders of magnitude uh, more thrust for the amount of energy it needs, or, well, zero energy, really. You know, the question is, where does the magnetic field get its energy? There's no faster way to clear a room of physicists than to talk over unity, is there? <clears throat> yeah. Well, this is small enough that uh, if they're set up for showing, you know, with a liquid nitrogen doer, uh, they can sh demonstrate it in their classroom if they wanted to and demonstrate it breaks two laws of physics right there in front of their eyes. One is the the law of energy conservation because they're creating thrust with zero energy input uh, and they're breaking Newton's third law, the idea of action without reaction, you know. Because uh, the standard view is, well, like a rocket, you have to throw mass out the back to get it to move forward. This, you're not throwing anything out. It moves forward on its own. And I've talked about this at conferences. You put a whole ray of these on a craft, and you could get to Mars in five days instead of nine months or whatever they talk about. Say what? The iron thrusters. Five days. Yeah, you could accelerate up to, uh, what was it, 100 uh, kilometers per second. Uh, and get there pretty quick, you know. And, uh, yeah. Um, do, do you think that this kind of propulsion system that you're describing, there, there must be people either in NASA or the, uh, the special access programs, uh, that are going on, that they must be into this too. Is there, are you aware of or have you have any inkling as to how uh, they might be experimenting? Uh, yeah, there's a few tricks that we didn't tell them and we tried to interest NASA. <clears throat> they acted they weren't interested. You know, they uh, said, well, unless you explain it in terms of standard physics, we can't to take an interest to do it. And, of course, you, it's not explainable. In, in, I mean, because you're violating several laws of physics. But then behind our back, we heard from one NASA official that they did try to duplicate it. But because they hadn't consulted with us, we didn't give them all the secrets, mm -hmm. and uh, it failed. So uh, they basically wasted taxpayer money 
because of the way they do their business. Of course. <laughs> and we're not the first. The same with the Podklonoff device. Uh, they tried to duplicate Podklonoff's uh, anti-gravity device. He didn't tell them all the secrets of how he makes his superconductor. Mm-hmm. And they failed. <clears throat> what about the um, the whole idea of these these uh, the black triangles? Um, mm. There's a lot of uh, d- you know disagreements to where they're from. Uh, are they earth earth manufactured? Are they right? The Phoenix lights. The Phoenix lights. Uh, the the Stephenville yeah. lights. It's so so large they obliterate the night sky. Mm-hmm. It's like a giant box car uh, right. a store rather box store mm-hmm. floating by silently and slowly. Mm-hmm. Well, we've had that technology for years. Uh, I can't say whether the Phoenix lights were extraterrestrial or ours, but we have that. And it's uh, based, uh, it came out of what I write about in my book, the Sky Vault, Project Sky Vault. And that started uh, at the end of World War II. Uh, and uh, it's basically the idea of lifting craft on beams of energy, uh, microwave beams. And uh, basically they found a way of bottling the energy up in the beam, sort of like a Star Trek phaser idea. You know? mm-hmm. And it's, a, I don't know if, if you want me to use the word, uh, it might sound a little technical, phase conjugation. Uh, basically the, the wave, instead of going out and scattering out into space, uh, in a phase conjugator, you capture some of those, and you reverse their paths back to where they came from, and so they end up getting trapped in that loop. They can't get out. Uh, so it's, they have figured a way, engineered a way to create these beams, and then also to create repulsive force at the end of each beam. So it pushes on the ground, pushes on the craft. And uh, I believe they used this technology to lift the first large spacecraft into space for the secret program. You know, if you read the book by uh, Tompkins, he was talking about designing craft for the Navy that started, I guess the smallest was an aircraft carrier size, 300 meter long. And then they quickly quickly went to one kilometer and even to 10 kilometers. And uh, these were assembled in secret bases on Earth. And the way they got them into the air, in my opinion, is using Project Skyball technology. They put these microwave beams on them and beamed, you know, for, created these this, these forces that lifted them. <clears throat> in other words, we don't see the beams; they're microwave beams. But it's as if the crafts are standing on iron poles. Right, right, and that's why they can move so slowly despite their mass. Yeah, or fast. If you put more force on one and not on the other, it can quickly sh- flip off in one direction. What would be the effect of uh, on the ground, these microwave beams, if one of these craft were to pass over you? Yeah, well, there people reported having a cup in their dashboard uh, spill over. They had some coffee in their dashboard and it spilled over when one of these craft went over because it was exerting a, a force downward. The case in Greece where... Um, when the thing went over, the tiles in the roof started rattling, and some of them were kicked off. That's the force this was putting down. What interference with electrical uh, systems. Oh, that too, yeah. Because yeah, massive power, massive power outages that have been associated with these sightings of these craft. Right, right, right. 
their electromagnetic uh, tech, sort of electromagnetic technology in essence. So. And you're saying we ha- we have this technology? We've oh had yeah, it. yeah. We, we I believe these triangular vehicles use this. That uh, they have at each corner one of these beams in the center of the craft. You see another luminous area is the phase conjugator. Likely, it's my theory. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> they they end up supporting like a tripod to support the craft. So we're not necessarily here talking extraterrestrial. All of this stuff is perhaps made in the good old USA. Right, right, right. Uh, well, they probably have places they're assembling them. Uh, well, not necessarily USA. Australia has a, a desert, too, where they, I understand there's a secret base there. But they probably assemble them on bases, uh, the moon or wherever. Um, well, it, it, I'm sure you're familiar with Richard Dolan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Richard and I have uh, have a, an ongoing relationship. We have this discussion about these uh, about the breakaway civilization and the right. capacity that uh, I think the military or whatever breakaway civilization has to uh, to move wherever they want within the solar system at or or just below light speed. Uh, I mean, now this kind of of, of technology. Wait a minute, at or just below superluminal. Superluminar, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that that to me is like just. Like Ben Rich was saying, we can take ET home, and right. it won't take uh, a lifetime. Right, and and I guess what Richard and I have talked about consistently is is how this kind of technology is being repressed, and the political systems uh, that just will not allow this stuff to, uh, to to become, I guess, commonplace or part mm-hmm. of the uh, part of our lexicon. Uh, what forces? What forces do you see uh, are in play that, that to keep this stuff under the covers? Uh, I, I don't want to get po- too political about this, but what, what, what are the forces in your mind that keep this under under? Well, the physicists are one of the major problems here because they're so going forward, looking backwards. Uh, you have to basically overthrow physics, and that's not a simple task mm-hmm. because what university will admit that everything they've been teaching to your your children is a bunch of crap which mm-hmm. is really you know modern physics is a bunch of crap uh, all, all of these advanced uh, concepts like uh, quantum mechanics and so on uh, subquantum kinetics has a replacement for all this you know uh, like they talk about black holes and the evidence points against it. There are no black holes. There are what I, they're basically stars that are uncollapsed, and they're producing huge amounts of energy. Yeah. They don't want to admit that because that violates their first law of thermodynamics. Mm-hmm. That energy can't be created. One of the big things that's ready to collapse in physics is the Big Bang Theory. I disproved it in 1986. I got letters from all sorts of astronomers congratulating me, including people in the Academy of Sciences of France and Canada and so on. Uh, and uh, then eventually it was forgotten, and they kept talking about the Big Bang Theory as if nothing had ever happened. And there's been since then so many other papers that have shown the tired light model fits the data better than the expanding universe model. You throw out the expanding universe concept, and you don't have any Big Bang. Now, I um, 
I wasn't planning on going here, but since you mentioned the Big Bang, uh, if you could, at a sort of uh, a grade six level, because that's where I'm operating on when it comes to the science, <coughs> uh, if, what are you replacing the Big Bang Theory with? With light losing energies, it travels on its journey to us from the galaxy. So if a light photon loses energy, its frequency is going to decrease. Its uh, wavelength will increase because lower energy photons have longer wavelengths and they're lower frequency. Okay. And what that will be seen as is a redshift, meaning that the photon is shifted more toward the red because it's lost energy. And that makes a specific prediction on cosmology tests. <clears throat> and I got into all this, into cosmology. That was my first inroads into astronomy. You, you listed a lot of my areas I've worked in. So this is what brought me into astronomy, because subquantum kinetics was making the prediction that light should lose energy in space. And I thought, well, geez, this, is, this might be wrong, too. You know, I, was, I was a little <clears throat> scared about it. I said, well, I'd better test the, the idea. And I got the data. I plotted this, this, uh, this particular relation. It's an exponential relation. And it's uh, turned, I found out later that uh, this had already been proposed, this uh, tired light effect, as they call it, was proposed in the days of Hubble by a guy named Zwicky. And it ended up fitting the data better than the expanding universe, Big Bang Theory. I still don't follow, though, how we go from nothing to something with this That's the whole thing. You're losing energy in space. It's a a violation of energy conservation. Uh, What is is the reason for that? And the reason is quite simple. Because the universe operates as an open system, not a closed system. In an open systems, energy can either increase, decrease, or stay the same. It's not necessarily conserved. Prigogine proved that. He expanded thermodynamics to include what he called <clears throat> non-equilibrium thermodynamics, which <clears throat> covers such systems, open systems, and showed that, in fact, that's the way it behaves. Now, what we're suggesting here is to get away from the closed system view of uh, the Big Bang, black hole idea, you know, energy has to be perfectly conserved, go to this ether view of a, of a flux that you can't prove it's there. <clears throat> but if you do, that very simple assumption, <clears throat> just one assumption, explains all of the free energy results you're getting. All right, we've got to take another time out. We'll come back and pick up on that and other threads right here on The Conspiracy Show. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Savage. Welcome back. Dr. Paul LaViolette is with us, Victor Vigiani in studio from Zealand News Network. And uh, you were saying, you know, that you tried to uh, e- explain some of these theories, uh, alternative energy theories to, to NASA, and they were somewhat dismissive because hmm. unless it 
it fits into that uh, conventional physics. Not theories, but technology. Technologies. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, because you know you've 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 proven these. I but. didn't try explaining them the theory. Right. <laughs> I think right. It would have been above there. But it seems like well, I'm just gone past them. <laughs> right. But I'm wondering is somebody has this technology and it seems to me they're using they are using this. It doesn't fit into conventional physics as cover. Um. So then I guess the question is, well, you know, who has it? Uh, you know, we talked well, about think these... about it. Conventional physics is just what they want to cover the space program. Because right. according to conventional physics, all this is impossible. Right. That's for our consumption. The This dog and pony show called NASA and the Apollo program and the Gemini program and the shuttle program. That's for public consumption. Meanwhile... Uh, they've got they're off. They've got deep space platforms, presumably. Would you uh, concur? Yeah. In fact, uh, I've been in touch with a guy whose father worked on deep space platforms, and he got involved back in the raid of 1952 of Washington D.C. with UFOs, and uh, that's when he got asked to come and analyze the radar images, and that's how he got involved. He became one of the major kingpins in the uh, U.S. Uh, secret anti-gravity program. And uh, he at one point confided to his son that uh, he was working on deep space platform. And uh, they were traveling outside the solar system at that time. He was given to understand these are not just for travel in the solar system, outside the solar system. Let me ask a really naive question: hmm. Why have this technology if they can't? If they're not willing to utilize it here on Earth, why? What are they doing out there, and why can't they be doing it here? Well, what I understand is they've been using it. In, uh, there's a battle going on with some black hat. E.T. races, the bad guys. Not all E.T.s are good. Uh, like we host, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Tall Whites. Yes, yes. We host in Area 51. and uh, We have E.T.s working underground. In fact, uh, was it Vice Chancellor of Soviet Union of Russia once said uh, that he's given a briefcase every morning, reports on... Uh, the ET situation, UFO situation, and he says if he revealed to the public how many ETs really live on Earth, it would, everyone would go in shock. So uh, Tompkins, in his book, it's a very good book to read, uh, it's, uh, sort of digresses a lot of his life experience and so on, but Basically, he's talking about all these ET races and that they've got a war going on. The Navy is, is what's called Solar Warden, meaning it's sort of like the defense, uh, the defense force that we've put up in space that, uh, Gary McKinnon, who hacked into the Space Command, uh, computer found about these ship to ship transfers going on yes. they weren't talking about navy ships on earth and that's sort of it's what got them all PO'd at him and they want him to be tried here but they finally dropped the charges from what I understand uh so uh th- there's this big uh, effort to combat these they say ETs that come from draco reptilian types uh, that uh, 
have been aligned with the Nazi uh, right. anti-gravity program uh, who were based out of Antarctica after which you know a lot of this stuff I've learned just in the last few years that uh, Hitler really wasn't uh, defeated he was uh, they went off planet they developed these technologies before the end of World War II sequestered them in Antarctica and then the plan was set up moon base and Mars base they were helped by the negative ET forces, from what I understand, these Draco reptilians. Draco meaning they come from Alpha Draconis area of the galaxy. I have no proof of this. It's just what I hear, which uh, is sort of the situation that's passed on to us by people in the know. And I trust Tompkins. I respect him. You look at his biography and... <clears throat> If he says it's true, it's probably true. Well, the, 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 the question behind that is, is why would he, why or how could he possibly make up this stuff? I'm familiar with his, with his discourse on this. And, and yeah. it, it's, a, it's a fascinating type of, of, uh, of scenario that really uh, classifies us as a prison planet. And uh, with, with what's going on on the planet at this given time, with the degradation of just about every system, uh, or the disintegration of just about every system on the planet, uh, there seems to be uh, a theory that this, let's just let this planet die and uh, die off as a, as a, you know, a fallen cinder around, around a big star, and that all these people who have this stuff under their hat and control over it will be the ones that will become the star uh, civilization that they will become, and whoever these people might be, are the liars and the thieves. So where does that leave us? Well, you have to throw in the bag the catastrophe that's coming, which is the leveler, <laughs> and these people think they've got it all figured out, and they haven't. You know, for for one thing, uh, they say that the EM pulse from this uh, superwave event could uh, wipe out any artificial intelligence type ETs for one thing mm -hmm. if you believe they're out there which is a very likely possibility um, but uh, you know something like that is a pretty heavy thing it's, mm -hmm. uh, you're talking about an, an EMP event uh, like a sun a, a solar flare like a no, character from the galaxy star? from the core of oh, the galaxy uh, uh, sort of cosmic rays Right. Yes. Uh, I'm the originator of the superwave theory. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, we have, and, and uh, well, we're going to uh, break here shortly, but we can uh, we can explore that. Uh, and we've got about three minutes here before the uh, the break. Let's 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 talk a little bit about that theory, and hmm. and, and what yeah, might be well, in I store. Developed it. That's what I did my dissertation on. I was planning to do my PhD on. Uh, subquantum kinetics and then I made this discovery I deciphered a cryptogram that was encoded in ancient myths and uh, esoteric sciences and it was talking about uh, this superwave effect uh, in fact it was pointing uh, using constellations that had a sighting on the galactic center with a certain date and it indicated an arrow flight out from the center one radian in the map it was one radian which means it comes directly from the center to us symbolically and if you study the one radian concept you know it's it's a radius of the circle but marked on the circumference 
And symbolically, what it was saying was, this is something that comes to us. And uh, I started looking into the whole thing, and I realized, well, you know, our galaxy could, uh, the core of our galaxy could erupt just like those of other galaxies we see erupting. And maybe the current theories of astronomy are wrong, that the, the outbursts are contained in the core, and maybe these really do... Uh, stream out like bullets throughout the whole galaxy. And uh, so that's what my thesis was based on. And data that's come out after that, I mean, this superwave theory has itself had 14 confirmations of predictions over its years. One being uh, this long-range rectilinear propagation of cosmic rays. We see it going on in other galaxies. And if you're familiar with some of these space program whistleblowers, mm-hmm like Corey Good and yes. another fellow, Ken something or other, I forget his name, talking about that they went out to check this theory in 1987. Now that's uh, four years after I started talking about it. I published my thesis in 83. I was giving paper, uh, a lecture on it in 85. I published papers in 85 and 87. I requested ice core samples from the Soviet, then Soviet Union to test the theory in 86, and I had an FBI car parked outside my door, I found out later when I got my FBI report. So they well knew about my theory, and uh, they wanted apparently to go out and test it, and they sent a, a superluminal spacecraft, because apparently it's, it's possible to travel faster than light, and they were doing this at that time. Uh, out into the galaxy, check this out, and when they went toward the galactic center, they found, sure enough, there's a super wave there coming towards us. And they, according to Good, it had uh, psychological effects on the, the passengers, which he doesn't explain, but I could understand why. You know, I discuss it in one of my postings, which is on my website, etheric.com. Etheric.com. All right, uh, Dr. LaViolette, let's uh, just stay put. We'll come back in a few moments, and uh, let's pick up on the super wave theory. What's the ETA? Uh, we'll uh, do that. Victor Vigiani stays with us in studio from Zeland News Network. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are madly off in all directions, but that's okay because it's all good. Well, not good news, but the uh, the content, the information is absolutely fascinating. Dr. Paula Violette is uh, with us, uh, the author of a number of books, including Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion, Tesla UFOs, and Classified Aerospace Technology. Victor Vigiani in studio from Zeland News Network. And you were talking, Dr. Violette, before the break about uh, the superwave theory. Yeah. And that we have um, on the horizon... And you'll give us the uh, the ETA here, uh, a burst of cosmic radiation that's going to do what exactly? Yeah, well, it's cosmic rays uh, along with electromagnetic waves, so like radio, light, uh, gamma rays, X-rays, the whole works, will arrive suddenly. And you can't see it coming because that whole thing travels at the speed of light towards you. <clears throat> So when it's here, that's when the cosmic rays are on our doorstep. And like in the Hopi legend, where they talk about a blue-white star appearing in the sky, 
signaling the uh, the next catastrophe, the coming, the arrival of the catastrophe. This is what it would look like. It would look like a bluish white star where the galactic center currently is located, which is between the constellations of Scorpio and Sagittarius. And uh, cosmic ray levels will go quite high, uh, 100,000 times higher than, uh, well, at least a thousand times above the current background in in space, uh, showering us. Um, so, especially during the first three days, it would be much higher than that, because uh, we've seen uh, a another in another galaxy a core becoming active. At first, they thought it was a gamma ray flash, and then they they it kept going and so you realize that really it was just the core of the galaxy going into galactic core explosion mode, active state. And after three days, the power came down from this initial gamma ray flash level down to more moderate cipher galaxy-like levels, or quasar levels, at least. Uh, and that's what would happen, the reason being uh, all the... F- higher energy particles will be the ones that arrive first because they're going a little faster than the others. What are, what are the effects going to be like uh, here on well, planet Well, there'll be a gravity wave associated with it, which will cause earthquakes, worldwide earthquakes, uh, maybe trigger volcanic eruptions, and that might precede by about a day or two the arrival of the cosmic rays. And then they will shower the solar system so you should try to take cover in caves or tunnels subways whatever to get away from that uh, <laughs> of course uh, some of the high very high energy stuff will penetrate even 100 feet below you know with the create muons which can go very far down are we, are we talking uh, an extinction mm-hmm. event here well, um, the main thing that causes extinctions is the sun, um, and uh, I believe that uh, well, the, the super wave, as far as radiation goes, uh, it would cause a lot of genetic change if you're left out in the open and, and radiation sickness. I don't think my impression is that's not what causes extinctions. If you look at like the mass extinction at the end of the ice age that wiped mm-hmm. out the large animals in North America, mm-hmm. uh, that was, in my opinion, caused by solar proton event, uh, like a super uh, solar uh, event, uh, sort of like the Carrington event, but like a hundred times greater. Um, and the evidence for that is in the ice core, and that's I published a paper in technical journal. I try to. <clears throat> sort of like peg all these theories uh, with data and get them in referee journals to establish credibility for all my theories. This cosmic ray event, though, do you have an ETA? Well, uh, that's the thing. It's difficult to predict, and so you go to things like psychics predictions and uh, prophecies like the Garabandal prophecy based on analysis. They... The, there's one lady, I guess, is still alive who was uh, involved in that uh, experience. It was like a, uh, a vision they had in Portugal, and they were a good date. And she hasn't wanted to say it, but she's 
let out enough clues that some people have uh, put together that, that you know and I, I based on what they said in the day of the week and so on you can figure maybe one possible date is next year in April <clears throat> But isn't there, uh, is, is it cyclical? I mean, nothing definite, you know. But based on those ice core samples that you brought, that you had delivered from the Soviet Union, was there evidence that it's cyclical, that it's like every 5,000 yeah, years? Yeah, yeah. Well, the Vostok core, which was uh, Soviet drilled, um, other researchers have published uh, cosmic, well, what's called the Brillium 10 record. And Brillium 10 is caused by cosmic ray spikes. That was one of the predictions of the superwave theory that would produce these brilliant ten spikes in the ice record and sure enough that's what they found and another fellow did analysis Fourier analysis and found a period there were three periods that showed up one was about 25,000 year period another 12,500 year period another 5,800 year period which comes close to the Mayan cycle all right we're going to take another time out we'll come back and uh, uh, finish up with uh, Dr. Paul Laviolette and Victor Vigiani talking well you name it we're covering it super wave theory anti-gravity UFO propulsion zero point uh, subatomic kinetics we're all over the place stay with us Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sapp. Something wicked this way comes. A cosmic ray event. Uh, one cycle is every 5,800 years, and that would sort of line up with the, uh, the Mayan prophecy. And here we thought, we all breathed a big sigh of relief, winter solstice 2012. We thought, well, we dodged that one. <laughs> uh, but not necessarily so. So how is this, if at all, sort of tied into uh, a lot of the things that we've been talking about? For example, the, the, the alien or the ET presence yeah, here on well, Earth. Well, there's, uh, <clears throat> many people are saying that the reason there's so many ET races here now is because the time is approaching for this to happen. And many of these are here to help us, to They'll be like a rescue operation, uh, and uh, it will. The whole thing is may have psychological effects on the whole race. Uh, well, it will definitely. You know, when you stop to think, uh, what happened during the World Trade Center? Yes. You know, mm. for uh, you know the Princeton Egg Project, where they had random number generators planted around the Earth, and they were comparing them. No, no. Back to the laboratory. During the, for three days during the World Trade Center collapse tragedy, the, there was non-random behavior in those eggs, and they never saw it any other time. And it actually started a few hours before the uh, actual hit. What does that mean, non-random behavior in the eggs? I'm not... <clears throat> it may, meant that something was affecting those and I bet, my theory is, it was people's consciousness. Ah. It was indicating that there was a global consciousness, because for that one moment, everybody's face, eyes were glued to their TV sets, watching what was happening on Manhattan. And uh, that never happened before. It, not only that, but in an awe-striking awe manner, like horror. Right, massive trauma. Yeah. And... Uh, 
the same thing will happen, but on a much wider scale and more powerful scale, because it won't be looking at somebody else's fate, but your own. Everyone will be seeing this in the sky. And everyone, we're all interconnected. It's quantum entanglement. They've mm-hmm. done experiments on this, and they believe that that's what involved in telepathy. And all these channels will then open... Uh, we'll, we'll all be sort of non-randomly communicating <laughs> as one. We'll, we'll no longer be individuals. We'll be a human race organism, so to speak, an entity, a conscious entity that will be, I believe, a, a energy of love will be involved. So then what you're saying is that at some point, either just before or during this event, that somehow humanity will uh, be involved in a collective consciousness event where they, everyone it realizes the same thing. leap, right. Yeah. Well, everyone will realize something at the same time instantaneously, which will be or shall be the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Won't that, it be too yeah. late, though? Well, you know, it's... <laughs> Let's jump off the bus well, together. <laughs> no. you, you know, people have said, you know, if enough humans can get together, they can create miracles. Mm-hmm. So imagine that suddenly we become conscious and we just say, we don't want this and deflect the, the, the whole superwave around the earth. Right. At the beginning you know, of our conversation, uh, Dr. Laviolette, um, you're, you were sort of, um, pretty straightforward in your explanation about, uh, you know, quantum physics and, and all of that. And over the last 30 minutes. We've gone further out and further out. Well, you, you, you have, be- <laughs> really, and I really mean this sincerely, you've become so metaphysical about this whole thing, which is, uh, is, is it antithetical to the kind of, uh, physics work you do in physics, or is this sort of the same sort of thing? But, yeah, not... I don't talk about these subjects when I'm writing a paper right, focused yeah. on physics and uh, with evidence and solid base. Mm-hmm. You know. uh, we're just covering different fields here. Uh, and th- this is talked about by others that the next catastrophe event will be involved. It's even in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it will be associated with a uh, shift of consciousness or... Uh, mm-hmm. coming of man, you know, what does what, it, it mean? Uh, the, 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 what's it called? The, the coming of the son of man. What, what does that mean? It means we give birth to a son. Our humankind gives birth to a son, a son of man. In mm-hmm. other words, this integrated consciousness, could that be what was really intended and they couldn't explain it to us because it involved quantum physics to understand it? <laughs> so the this off-world civilization, this breakaway civilization that has this technology, I guess the idea here is that they're not counting on this cosmic ray being diverted at the last moment by elevated human consciousness. They're trying right. to get the, the hell off the planet. Is that the idea? Yeah, they dug down. They built the tunnels. We, you know, in fact, you know about the uh, super collider in Texas. Yes. Why did they suddenly shut it down after they dug the tunnel? And they said it's outfitted like a jail there with all facilities. What is a jail? It's like a hotel, basically. So they could use it for a refugee center, you know, fallout shelter. So supposedly these are all over the place, and it's not just our civilization. Past civilizations have dug these tunnels. You see them in Bosnia. I've been there twice, There's the tunnels there. 
you see them in Turkey, seven levels of tunnels. Uh, they were they had living quarters down there. Why would the people ancient times be doing that? <clears throat> Those are probably dating from the last ice age. Fascinating. So, no, there are these tunnels, and uh, whether there'll be any concerted effort to herd us into safe places, I don't know. Uh, well, uh, Dr. LaViolette, you have given us uh, so much to think about, and I'm sure this program will result in a few sleepless nights uh, for some of us, but uh, I, I really appreciate you spending two hours with us, and we'll direct people again to the website, etheric.com, etheric.com, and, um, of course, the uh, the book that we've been really talking about uh, at, at, at great length, uh, that would be... Um, uh, Secrets of Secrets. Anti-Gravity Propulsion. Yes. And there's also Earth Under Fire if you're interested in the superwaves. And Subquantum Kinetics is a, more of a technical book, physics-like, but much easier in physics. And Genesis all of-, of the Cosmos makes it accessible for the general public and goes into the ancient myths that encode it. It's actually an old science, it turns out, that we are discovering again. All right, and all available wherever good books are sto- uh, available, and uh, at and on my website, and on your <laughs> website. Uh, that's the place to get it. Then etheric. And there's a lot of free papers there too. You can download. Terrific. So. Well, I've linked up to that uh, website at strangeplanet.ca. They just click on your name, and uh, they are there. Thank you again so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Dr. Paul Laviolette. All right. Victor, last order of business. Over to you, sir. What did you make of that? I'm just getting set to leave here and start my car and try to drive home and not think about the last two hours because it has really been an eye opener for me. I, I've, I have a lot of, I've 40 years in this stuff and I've never heard uh, talk like this before in, in my career. And it's uh, disconcerting in some way, but it's also enlightening in others. So uh, I'm just glad that we had a chance to talk to uh, the doctor about this. And uh, it provides us with a different way of thinking. And I guess that's why we're here. Absolutely. Well, yes, he did give us a lot to chew on, didn't he? Uh, all right. We are. Thank you, Victor. And Oh, very quickly. How do people uh, log on to uh, your, uh, your news network, Zeland News Network? Just Google Zeland Communications, Z-L-A-N-D Communications, and you'll come to uh, our website with uh, all of the journals and press releases and editorials that you'll, uh, that you'll want to follow and read. That's well over now uh, 10 years of them. Fantastic. Zealand News Network. Victor, thank you. My thanks to Carlos Kajina and Ryan White back next week with that 9-11 20th anniversary special. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.